Welcome back to Lyme Podcast. My name is Aaron Alexander. This is a place that we bring together the world's leading experts on all things health and wellness to help you optimize your mind, body, and movement. Today's conversation is with one of the absolute OGs in the world of, I'd say, all matters of the heart. Uh, relationships, trauma work, things of the sort. And she has a new book out presently called How to Be Loving, which I really enjoyed. And uh, I think it's a real art and craft and science to open oneself up to love, to another person, to themselves, to the world. And uh, I know I personally have spent, I would say most of my life with some level of reservation around that. And one of the most rewarding things, actions, experiences that I've had is leaning into that, leaning into what those fears are, uh, where do they come from, where are they stored in the body, and then how do we go in and process some of the stored emotion from the past so that we can freaking relax. I think that's really what it comes down to. Relax, open, receive, connect, all things. It's a worthy endeavor. Uh, I hope you guys enjoy this conversation. Danielle, like I said, she's a legend, and I'm grateful to get to share her work with y'all here today. And that's it. That's all. Let's go. Thank you so much for joining this. I appreciate you making time to to be here on the podcast, Danielle. Yeah, I've been looking forward to this podcast. I want to know, can I ask you a question to start? Hit me. Okay. Um, what's your your definition of align? alignment? Oh, wow. I mean, it's ever evolving. I had a similar question for you. Actually, it wasn't the word align. It was about the heart. Um, and I am the definition presently would be, um, coherence between the mind and the body, the heart. I would say that I I would say it's coherence you know, of, of what you think, what you feel, what you desire, what you're actualizing in your life. Um, and I think I'm presently, that definition is coming much more into, uh, a lot more weight is being held around relationship with the heart, uh, in relation to the mind. And many people in the modern world, my, you know, myself for most of my life have been very, uh, mind dominated. And so finding coherence between not just the mind and the heart, but the mind and the heart and all of like the Eastern esoteric stuff, you know, the root and the throat and all of the parts. Um, so yeah, but it's ever evolving. It used to be much more physical. What's your definition mm-hmm. of aligned? Mm-hmm. Aligned. I feel that it's, it's got everything to do with understanding. And I have this very kind of visual way of just, it's like to, stand under the soul to be aligned with the higher self with awareness of the divine the divine itself and you know there's all sorts of we we know all the ways we get out of alignment but like i am my whole practice revolves around stepping under trying to understand what my soul wants to tell me it's all around alignment yeah. You have a, a really beautiful uh, stillness about you. I wonder, is that something, is any of that a facade? Is any of that something that you, <laughs> you wear, that you wear, that you wear is like a, like a coat? Yeah. I have a, I have a nervous tick that you can't see right now. 
seriously because you 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 developed it well you have like a very like soothing sensual like like your words are it's almost like a massage for the nervous system in a way and i wonder if Mm -hmm. for for you has that been something that you've developed is there any other parts behind that 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 don't get shown so much in a public way uh I think what you get now is closer to, I mean, I'm getting closer to my true nature, right? And I've always been my, my way, which is also, I mean, it's a bit tricky because my way is also worked into like, quote, my brand, right? And my way is, is transparency. I mean, I'm calculated with some of that transparency. Like one of my theories is like when I'm really suffering and in the shit, I don't talk about it. Because yeah. I don't want to get people's projections about why I got to where I got or what the remedy is going to be. You know, and it's tender. I stay in my tender place. I get to the other side. I turn it into a teachable and like, and then I do my thing with it. I think if we would have talked 10 years ago, I you pro- you would have met someone who was like way more brazen. I like, mm-hmm. you know, fucking swore all the fucking time. You know, and it was like <laughs> that was... I really wore like my authority issues on my sleeve. And I really thought it was, um, it was good for my brand. It really set me apart. It was sexy, all those things. But I, over the last few years, I have realized that my authority issues are really just this mask for a a fear, actually like more like the texture of terror of Mm. being controlled. And so, uh, you know, there's lots of things to unpack around that. Like, you know, my shadow is very controlling. Um, uh, and my truer nature is much more, you know, I'm just much more gentle. Hmm. Um, I'm not as jacked on striving and accomplishment. Like, There's been a radical simplification that's happened in the last three years in my life. Yeah. And vastly this is i've I've been this way my kid is this way we are chill like we are of the chill (laughs) peoples and it i'm pretty chill pretty chill yeah yeah i think that that's an interesting thing i think oftentimes i find it a little when people particularly like go through like a breakup or something that's that's one of the ones Mm -hmm. that really cuts deep for people more than most things and to place yourself into like a public projection of one's reactivity, I think is, I don't know if it's risky. It just seems maybe a little um, careless or, or can be reckless in a way. Yes, and I think you can, you can look back hold, at it. Yeah. Hold your stuff is sacred. Yeah. 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 And then also be able to express and be honest and, and expose and all of that. But, but I find sometimes mm-hmm. kind of like, mm, I don't know if in, you know, two months, they're going to look back and be like, aha, that was, that was the move to like put all the dirty laundry out to strangers as I'm in the midst of it. In your, in your uh, book, which I like absolutely devoured and absolutely loved, um, you. you mentioned what you're talking about now of, of how sometimes we can kind of wear our, our shadows and they'll, they'll, they'll show up in our lives. One of the things I wrote down as notes actually is if, if anxiety is our shadow, you'll see other people as anxiety inducing and projected onto them. You also mentioned um, you know, the potential shadow of like, 
Uh, I think avoidant behavior translating to excessive ambition. I might have missed, this is a lot of stuff I was like writing down in my notes, but it's interesting the way that some of these like darker, shadowy, maybe unseen subconscious subterranean parts of ourselves will pop up in our world. And you reference Carl Jung a lot. He has a lot of references around that similar thing. How does a person start to come into the beginning of seeing the unseeable with themselves mm, within that, mm, as opposed to mm. being in the place of perpetual blame and criticizing and projecting mm. out kind of like, you know, self-victimization. This is a giant question. Can we let, I want to pause the question and just, yeah. can we do a little walkthrough of the unconscious and conscious self? There's, there's actually, there's four layers. Okay. All right. So subterranean, as you would call it, is that is like, that's the stuff, that's the subconscious self. You don't even know what's in there. The masters, the mystics don't know what's in the darkness of their darkest self. That's the nature of the subconscious. Like you cannot reach it. It will come up. It's going to surface. It's going to work its way through your life and come up in all these gnarly ways. Okay. Then sort of the next layer of that, you know, the soil of the self is the unconscious self. And, you know, lots of us, we do the work. We're introspective people. We go on the darkness retreats. We have a meditation practice and we, we have an idea of what's in the unconscious self. We're like, ah, that's my fear showing up in the conversation. Ah, that's my neuroses in the relationship. Like that's the, the weird thing that's in my basement that kind of controls some of my life. And then there's our conscious self. Like we're aware of why we're doing what we're doing. And we're aware of the parts of ourselves we can draw on to create a better life, like goodwill, love, happiness. Mm. And then there's super conscious, which We'll, we get there some lifetime, mastery, um, deeply insightful, I mean, luminous beings. And then there's the supra consciousness, which I can't even conceive of, but I know esoterically, like there's this other layer. So back to your question, like how does the shadow show up in the external world? There's that, there's, there's, I just want to clarify your, your question. What you're pointing out that I'm saying and how to be loving is how the parts of ourself that we're averse to, that we hate, that we are oppressing, probably the reasons we're in therapy, it will show up as other people. We are projecting our own BS onto other situations. Yeah. So I'll use myself as an example. Like, you know, I am a recovering authority issues identifier. And so um, I would just, you know, I just really am magnetized to controlling people. And I just said, wow, she is so, she is so controlling. She is just, you know, that she's over the top with how she wants to get things done. Projection, that's my shadow stuff. So if, if everybody starts to look at the patterns of the people that irritate them, what's the theme? in the stuff that is really agitating for you, in other personality types. That's your stuff. And then you look at it within yourself and you have to do two things. You have to be really like intimate and courageous. And then you have to be really loving and compassionate. And 
be, you know, watch your tone when you identify your own inner control freak and tyrant. You're going to need a lot of compassion because you're going to see how you judge these people. Like I'll tell you this phrase I used to use for people. I would say, I mean, certainly walking through the world, judging all the control freaks, like, gosh, she's so uptight. Um, But I would also say, you know, Jane's all about Jane. That's her thing. She really, she's in it for herself. Now, I couldn't, there was a period of time, I would never have considered that about myself. I am, I'm Danielle, I'm generous, I'm, I'm love, I'm all, these, I'm all these great things. And those are legit things. But I know how the universe works. And I cannot hide from universal law. If I am, you know, McJudgerton of all this, like somewhere it's in me. And so I've really had to um, examine and lovingly reconcile with all of my self-centeredness. And, you know, these past three years on the planet have been challenging for, for someone who has control issues or, hmm. and authority issues, you know. But I really had to say, like, okay, where am I a tyrant? I, I got to it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah the, um, I have a bunch of notes that I like wanted to touch on. I promise I won't read off of notes, but there's a couple quotes oh, that I wanted it. to make sure that I incorporated. Uh, and they're both from, from Carl Jung. Uh, the one which relates to this is whatever is re- rejected from the self appears in one's life as an event. And then the other one from him, everyone carries a shadow and the less embodied it is in one's life, the darker it will become. And another one, since we're on the Jung kick, the most terrifying thing is to accept oneself completely. Yes, that's that's like that's a lot. That's like that's like a life's work right there to be able to start to un- unpack that and get closer into alignment with yourself, yeah. as opposed to the projections that you're you're pointing outward. Yes, to even consider what Young is talking about. I mean, really, what he's saying is your diamond is in your darkness. Like the yeah. the the cure, the power that you are naturally longing for. It's really like a divine longing to feel empowered and and connected all of that is right behind your pain i used to have a hard time even just going near his stuff i was like oh all this darkness all the shadow when do we get into like the light and the divine but it's all the same and Mm -hmm. the source of light creates rays of light and those rays of light create shadow so you are divine and you have very dark edges all of us all of us and our this is the whole point this is it everybody lean in (laughs) you can stop listening after this like we come here to make the unconscious stuff conscious like i really want to know why i said that thing that one time i really want to know why i picked that relationship I really want to know why I chose to live in an apartment building that has mold in it. Like, I want to know these things. Like, I want to, why do I walk a certain way? Why do I have particular cravings? It's all coming from the unconscious self. And I go, oh, that's a craving. Let's look at it. That's an act of love. I just poured the light of my awareness on something that I was previously unaware of. Why do you do what you do? 
that's really one of the most enlightened questions. I think one of the things with this for a person to be able to have the availability to start to tap into some of those unconscious projections or the blaming or the criticizing or any of those, those factors, uh, pushing the, the, the spotlight out as opposed to in to be able to start to do that. I think that one typically needs a certain level of, um, almost like nervous system regulation baseline to have enough resourcing within self at a biological level to feel like, okay, I have a home, like, like I have a seat. I can, I can, I'm I'm not in a complete frantic, frenetic kind of like survival type operating system. How, what's the sequence of events to get to a person to be able to start to safely bring the spotlight inward? If they're in a place where it's like, oh no, no, like you did this to me, period. And is it appropriate to be in that place? Because I, I don't know if there's some physics or law to that. Can anyone do this to me? Can you, can you say appropri- appropriate to be in what place? What in a place mean? of blaming, a place of judgment, a place of pointing pointing outward as opposed to looking inward. Oh, yes. For our emotions I, and our feelings. The and, answer is both. It's absolutely yeah. appropriate. Like discernment to see what's going on in your external world and then look within. Like what's the impact of what's happening in the external world? How are you vibrating and what thoughts are you thinking and how are you behaving that's creating those conditions? And then how can you create conditions of healing? So the answer is is both. And it's like, you know, my sense is you and I have come to our own centers in opposite ways, right? Like your body guy, your fitness guy, your nervous system attentive guy. I have been, you know, in in A Course in Miracles saying, I'm not my body. <laughs> I want right. to transcend. And I've come back to like center for me is my body is a manifestation of, of how I'm choosing to think, to love, to be in alignment. And it now matters to me, ironically, more than ever. But I'm very clear. I am, we all are, I believe, I'm a soul that's inhabiting this dense little suitcase called a body. And I'm also really clear that um, it is love to care for my body. It's not escapism. It's not ego that I need to care for my body temple. Like I care for my son Hmm. that I can't, there's no, I don't want to transcend my, my form anymore. I want to work with it. And, and I also know, learned this the hard way, like until you regulate the nervous system, until you tend to the brain chemistry, you can't tap the spiritual. Like you can tend to all those things in a more spiritual way. You can eat truly nourishing food. You can know what's happening with 5G. You can look into sound therapy, all those things. You can do it from this place of um, you know, higher consciousness, but like your digestion has to be working. Your talk, you know, you've got to detoxify all those things for you to really serve yourself, really expand, and then, you know, really be a loving contributor to the world, more conscious contributor. I mean, you could sit what, in a cave and be loving. What, what so something that I notice within myself 
going through the process of, of therapy particularly. It's been one of the more impactful things of, of my life in the last few months. Uh, and we'll go through, we'll do, you know, like a processing, which these are things that I still just uh, as like a vestigial quality, I still do quotations and bunny ears and whatnot and air quotes because I've, it's, I'm still kind of skeptical of all of the new age jargon and the words. And I'm also like in reverence and respect to it. Cause I'm like, that's actually exactly what it is. And opening your, the journey to opening your heart, like it's a real thing, you know, for a long time, that would be something I'd be like, uh, like, you know, mild eye roll. Um, the cheese but, is divine. That's what you get to. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But so, so I'll go through these experiences and I'll have like tremorous, ugly face crying and I'll have like these kind of clairvoyant moments and different words will come up and I'll say them. I'll just like, bah, like, you know, full, you know, explosive catharsic, cathar- cathartic type experience. Afterwards, I feel like I, you know, I took a 50 pound weight vest off. My joints move better. I'm just like, wow, like everything's so much better. Then another wave of emotion will come on. I thought I was out of the weeds. It's almost like a set wave. If you ever surfed before, big set comes in, you're like, oh, uh-oh. you know, there's another set coming behind that. You know, you kind of hope maybe there's not, you know, but then, you know, a couple hours later, it's like, oh, now it's like this deeper internal processing is happening. And I still have a tendency to want to, avoid still have a tendency of wanting to do something to distract it could be a cell phone thing it could be maybe eating some nicotine pouch stuff avoiding in that way maybe like all of the different random ways that i could how do you do with that when you're feeling the sensations of i'd imagine there, there might be similar type sensations that manifest for you of an inclination to be like ooh, like i'm not really loving this feeling inside of myself maybe i should distract what do you do in those moments? Asking for a, I'm asking for a friend. Asking you're asking for a friend. For a friend. Yeah. Um, <laughs> my thing isn't so much distraction, it's criticism. So um, let's break down both. Um, let's go through criticism first, and then I'll, I can maybe help out with distraction. Okay. Um, and I do numb out and do those things and doom scroll and and all of that. But mostly what happens for me is when I can feel like a new lesson coming on, something I haven't looked at, there's something I've got to soften around or embrace, something painful that I have to be with, Hmm. then I will go into, um, I'm not enlightened enough. I haven't meditated enough. Um, How did I, I, I haven't been good enough in some spiritual way. I haven't been divine enough. Um, There's not enough stuff on my altar. I need to get up earlier. I need to do the walk. I need to meditate before bed. Um, I need to make amends with this friend. I didn't journal enough. Like it's all, so I will just go like Uber on the self-help repair, earn, earn divine favor, burn karma stuff. And it's really destructive. And it's, it is a form of distraction, but it's like a particular you know, it's a particular poison. Yeah. And it, um, it's actually keeps me so in my head. It's kind of in, there's no softness to that at all. It's so critical. It's so punishing and it can have me feel really, um, heavy. So like I have to, I mean, I know how to get out of it. How I get out of that is, 
gentle love, nature, and massive um, reframe perspective of just like, you know, I believe I'm going to live infinite dimensions, lifetimes, experiences. I'm one little soul on a planet of bazillions of souls throughout an, you know, moving on a planet that's like inconceivably old. It's okay. And when I relax into that, then I can go even deeper. And sometimes it just has to be conceptual. I have to tell my things, myself things like, I chose to be here. Okay, that's cool. Kind of exhale a little bit more. And then I go a little further and I go, actually, I was chosen to be here. I'm collaborating with source. All this magnificent life force got with this little soul named Danielle that just forgot she was life source. And like, we made this life not alone. And then I can go to, which has really been my greatest, you know, this is my work is like, I'm the beloved. You're the beloved. We are all beloved. And this is the most spiritual thing. (laughs) This is how, you know, um, esoteric it's gotten for me now the most spiritual perspective i have most spiritual thing i say to myself now i'm doing the best i can hmm. it's not even i'm doing the best i can that's that's like kind of an extra qualifier it's just i'm doing my best i'm doing my best and i say that from my heart to my whole self all my little neurotic controlling fragments i really say it to my ego mind i'm doing my best Isn't that amazing? I'm doing my best. It's incredible. Soften. And so how does this get us to the distraction way? You have to be compassionate with the part of you that wants to just avoid it at all fucking costs. Mm -hmm. And say, like I would say, I'll be, if I can be you for a second. You know, I'd say like, Aaron, (laughs) little Aaron, like, you know, your inner child, Aaron, how old is he? A lot of the time we can talk about what inner child actually is, but you know, sometimes little Aaron is like probably eight and sometimes he's like 14. And I just, you know, like, dude, you're doing the best you can. And then you probably won't need to be distracted so intensely there'll be like a little softening and you can be a little more conscious in that moment and say, okay, am I going to have a guilt-free distraction and just be gentle and cool with myself? Am I going to be my own loving father and just say, take a break today? Or am I going to be my own loving father and say, all right, buddy, let's take a couple breaths and let's do the work out of love, not of you're a loser. So let's do the work. Yeah. You're, you're worthy. You're capable. So let's do the work. Put the yeah. thing down. Yeah. Yeah. The compassion piece is big. That's like, I think you've in, in your book as well, you have something of like stop the bleeding with instead of compression, compassion, and just mm-hmm. being able to find the, that compassion for yourself, even when you're leaning into the avoidant behavior or the, you know, what, whatever the behavior is that you don't accept about yourself. Why is it so hard for, uh, many people, I presume, at a deeper level, if they really examine it a little more closely, or myself, 
to feel it's safe to to love ourselves or or myself just to speak for myself it feels almost like there's a certain level of yes. feels risky yes monumental question again the wounded part of us feels there's so much to lose in becoming our own god who will be there for you if you are completely responsible for your happiness? Who's to blame? Who's going to comfort you? Who, and all of these are natural human looking to, you know, the light side of looking to blame people outside of us is discernment, <laughs> is wisdom. See who's actually doing what? Who's vibing at what level? Um, I think, you know, this question gets to the root of the fear that I believe drives most of us. I could be projecting because it's definitely my fear, which is the fear of annihilation. So, you know, we all know like the pop psychology stuff, the fear of public speaking, which is really the fear of being seen for what we are. Um, and then there's the fear of death. But I really think underneath that fear of death is something really just crazy primal it's like it's crazy making like what if you just never existed what if you just your energy was just obliterated you were just non you were nonness you were nothing and you know then that bumps into you know all all the mystics and i can even speak to this you know just in a fragment my own experience which is when you touch source there is really this incredible feeling of spaciousness and it's it's full of love and creativity and energy and it's empty and if you think too much about it it's terrifying so all that to say i think this the safety of um you realize there is no safety there there's no such thing. There's just, there's no yeah. safety. And, um, and the other side of that is euphoria. Everything we want is on that other side. I'll take a moment to share something that I think is an invaluable tool to have inside any person's nutritional toolkit, i.e. their cabinet. That is exogenous ketones. If you are a person that wants to be more productive, that wants to have greater clarity of mind, or if you're just a fan of generally feeling really freaking good, exogenous ketones are a path toward that sensation. I've been suspicious of exogenous ketones, historically speaking, because they have been very expensive and they tasted pretty terrible. Well, there is now a solution for that that is called Ketone IQ from HVMN. I freaking love this stuff. I take it before every podcast. I love taking it before I go for a run on an empty stomach and it makes me feel satiated it makes me feel productive it makes me feel almost euphoric uh, and it's good stuff i think it is supportive for anybody to have as a tool for times that you need a little extra boost of energy and you can get yourself 20 percent off by going to hvmn.me slash 
align. Then use the promo code align-20 to get your 20% discount on the product. So they are affordable already, plus you get the 20% discount. So I highly recommend checking that out. Also, they'll be sold nationwide at all Sprouts locations across the country starting April 1st. But if you want to get that 20% discount, go to hvmn.me slash align and use promo code align-20 at checkout to get 20% discount. They have 100% money back guarantee. You will love this stuff. I hope you enjoy. Something that we've talked on here probably, you know, a bit ad nauseum at this point, but, or maybe not, maybe not enough. Let's do it. We, uh, but you and I haven't, the, so let's go. Is, is the, I feel like particularly for men, um, there's a couple, couple directions I think would be interesting. One, do you feel depression and emotions and such, uh, are different for men and women? Uh, and like the treatment of the, the symptoms of say a man that's going through some type of lost, depressive, disconnected state compared to a, a biological female. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes. one of the things that I've, I've heard recently that I thought was pretty interesting. It makes a lot of sense to me is, you know, our like core desires as a man compared to a woman, uh, oftentimes aren't exactly the same as a, as a, as a generality and men typically would tend to crave more um, power uh, and feel respected and feel in control and feel like I have the vision and I will contain and I will protect and I will support. And so if you give, if you give me uh, a purpose, then, you know, I'll, I'll crawl through breaking broken glass with a smile on my face to get it done. Yes. And a woman as a, as a, a generalization, uh, I don't know. What do you think a woman craves instead of me gen- mansplaining what a, what a woman craves? Yeah. Cool. Good move. Um, yeah. well, first of all, I think what we desire and how we process things is different that the female body is, you know, we have different biology. Your biology informs your thinking process, right? We all have the same heart frequency. And I think the heart is, you know, that space where the energy of the divine feminine and the divine masculine is held. I mean, we're all, I mean, I know you know this, but, you know, both energies are coursing through us. But as for like the male vehicle and the female vehicle, yeah, the biology is going to inform our desires. And I think it informs how we heal. Um, For myself, I, the healing methodologies for me have been, I don't know if this is masculine or feminine, but I used to really like to hang out in the intellect. Hmm. I liked results. I wanted to burn things down. I wanted to, I like my 10 steps. And now for me, it's much more ephemeral. It, I'm trying to get to a place, the place beyond thinking. And I think that's a universal longing. Um, I don't know if that answers your question. You want to give me like a more specific about? Yeah, no, no, no. That's just, well, so just in the, like, 
for, for me and myself, I think that's, I can kind of, my belief of what I need and desire, I think sometimes can be conflated with a generalization of what all people need and desire. And I wonder if there is some level of like a bifurcation between masculine and feminine or a person that embodies like an actual literal biological masculine body. Mm-hmm. And the, the, I think oftentimes perhaps a man doesn't need as much like nurturing and softness as lo- and love. And they also do. There's an aspect of them that does. Um, but like that purpose and like the mission and the adventure and the planning and we're going to go out and it's going to be dangerous and we might almost die and you're going to get bloody and you're going to get sweaty and you're going to push yourself. You're going to push yourself so freaking deep and you're going to like emerge on the other side of like, oh, like I got to know myself. I don't know that. And that's in, in, in many cultures, men have a, a distinct rite of passage where you essentially, yes, you're at the edge of, I might not literally my physical body might not make it through this. Yes. And there's something ab- about that, of that like dying before you die that can yes. lead to a certain level of liberation after that. And then you're probably going to want, you know, refresher courses of that throughout your life because you'll start to forget. Mm-hmm. I don't know that that rite of passage is the same for a man and a woman no, as a general, as a general, not. as a generalization. <laughs> yeah. No. What is, what is no. the difference? So, so let's say, let's <laughs> just put it in masculine and feminine. Yeah. So the rite of passage for women is to, it's the birthing. It's like you handle the death, that emptiness, that going to the edge of there will be no more life here. We're going to wipe it clean. It's the beauty of destructive energy. We need destructive energy. We need to wipe out toxins and all kinds of toxicity. And the masculine energy is is designed to do that. The feminine energy is designed to birth, to bring it into being, to nurture what is. And the initiation is 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 very is very different. It's those moments of in some expression or, or another mothering. We mother our lovers in, you know, in a, in a healthy way. We mother the project. We are, we're the temple. Mm-hmm. We want to bring in the divine. We want to hold that space. We want to, it's totally different. I mean, even the language around this is different. Uh, let me read you something that's actually on my desk. This yeah, is please. pulled out from an old piece. I've been going through a bunch of files this week. And I thought, I've got to make this into something, right? Okay. The balance. So emphasis on balance, okay? So this is not, um, this is not the feminine being overwatery and loose and hyper-emotional. This is not the masculine being, you know, toxically driven and destructive. This is balance. And all beings have these energies coursing through them, right? So the balanced yin, feminine energies, exhibit creativity and manifestation. This is the birthing. So all initiation will be around the birthing. It's a surrender to the higher. That's why we love to look up to the masculine in our life when it is balanced. The balanced feminine energy adapts, it flexes, it flows. It abides in authenticity. We want the truth. It's playful. 
It's intuitive. It's always holding space for growth and expansion. There's a vulnerability. There's a rhythm. There is um, an alignment with the essence of sound and light. The healthy feminine is radiant, magnetic, deeply grounded in the center of her mandala. By that, I mean the center of her creation. Um, and she is receiving and transmuting what comes her way. So I'm not hunting it down. I am magnetizing and I'm going to be as loving as I can be with what crosses my path. Okay. This is very much in contrast to the balanced yang, masculine energies are demonstrated as pure depth, as conscious awareness. That's the cosmos, spaciousness, father sky, as presence, as deep integrity toward a life of truth, capital truth and reflection. So um, crusading is a sensitive, it's not quite the right word. Uh, no destruction here, but um, championing, that's the right word, championing truth. I don't, I don't want to go fight for truth. I want to hold truth. I want to hold space for conversations for truth, but I'm not going to go die for it. Not in this lifetime, at least. Um, the balanced masculine is a creator of safe containers for self and other. You guys, you love the structure, right? Maintaining equipoise between competition and cooperation. The masculine is the nucleus of contemplation. It actually, at its healthiest, wants peace and harmony. And it's responsive and responsible. In contrast to the feminine's receptivity, you are responsible for all externalized actions, thoughts, and words. Integrity. Do you feel like there's some level of misguidance that's happening, at least in like the social media sphere, in relation to, uh, say, to say the term roles is a sensitive word as well, um, but between men and women? And it seems like there's a trend of kind of blurring all the edges as opposed to coming from a place that it's, you know, another way that it's been for a long time is actually, no, like, like lean into the role. Like that's how we build the home. Yes. That's how we build the community. That's how we build the state country, et cetera. Yes, I don't have, I don't have a dog in the race, but I've, I mean, I, I kind of tend to lean towards the place of like me personally, I want to lean into all of those qualities as a man. Like all of that feels very fulfilling to me. There's a beautiful concept called Swadharma. So Dharma is your path that you are going to walk this lifetime. You decide, I'm going to live a life of compassion, um, humanity, love, whatever it is. And your life purpose gets clear. You walk that path. But there's a, your Swadharma. It's like, you know, your, your Uber Dharma is the way that only you can walk. You, you, there's, there's certain characteristics that... Aaron has and Danielle that each of us has that's just we got to fly that flag mm -hmm. so I've spent many years struggling with my characteristics and part of those characteristics are what come with being born into a female body and feeling that that's right for me and really embracing that so um, I've learned that I am, you know, I used to oh, like, is the spiritual thing to do? Like, should I get married? 
or none, um, psychedelics or straight edge, um, entrepreneur or retreat. I say like, actually, Danielle, like what comes most naturally to you? Be that. I mean, this is the cheesy motivational trope <laughs> we've all grown up in, right? It's like, just be yourself. But what I'm talking about is like, be your essential multidimensional self on behalf of love and divinity. Just be you in order to be fully expressed what source has made you and to be of service to the collective. Mm-hmm. And um, you have to be that without apology, without comparison. And um, you will be in contrast to other people's flavors. The contrast, that tension is where we create. The danger of this, this ideology around watering it down is that um, we actually don't honor diversity. It's so twisted in a way. Like I honor that there are, um, there are women who are more masculine in nature in their bodies than I am. I honor different languages, different religions, narrow-minded, expanded, conservative, progressive, whatever that means these days. And by honoring that and making space for that and not changing who I am in contrast to that, then we actually get somewhere. Because my mosaic, the global stained glass, needs all of it. It needs gender. It needs race. It needs Christianity. It needs Buddhism. It needs dualism. It needs needs non-dualism. It, ne- it needs thought and ego. It needs beyondness. It needs beyond words. It needs love. It needs discernment. I don't want to be that which I am not for anybody else. Hmm. That is suffering. Hmm. The you mentioned comparison in there, and I think that another common trend for myself, or or you know, likely other people would resonate, would be the the not enough thing. And I feel like that's one of the things that you you mentioned that in, in your your book as well. You, you said in there when we don't believe anything or anyone is good enough for us in the world, it's from not believing we are good enough for ourselves. And that not enoughness piece, it's like, it's, it's very sneaky, you know, because I, I think we, we're, we've kind of have been inculcated into a largely quantifiable world, you know, where it's like, it's very yes. easy to think, okay, well, more money or more cars or more surface area in your house, it's a, that should just be good. But it, that can lose the texture of like the, the feeling. You know, so when we're, when we're so caught up in the way that things appear to other people and like, that's the driving focus, that's where our bandwidth is going. I think we can miss out on that internal experience of like, what's like the heart that fills the home or fills the car, you know, or the energy behind the earning and all the things that we're doing. But I don't feel like that is a lesson that's really was taught to me so much. It's more about like, go out, get it done. But coming back into the place of what's the root of why you want more in the first place. That's right. You know, that's something that's, it's another like lifetime thing, I think. 
it's the ego that asks if you're worthy, mm-hmm. if you're enough. And one thing we need to get clear on about the ego is so often when we hear ego, we think bravado, excessive, you know, cocky, overconfident. That's one part of it. The other face of ego is insecure, um, repressed, really contracted. I mean, both are different types of contractions. And so whether you're going to be a baller or you're going to be an underachiever, it's the ego that's having you say, is this enough? You're not enough yet. I'd do this in order to be more worthy. Uh, you're not going to be worthy here, there, or over there. The heart laughs at that question. It's like, you know, a loving mother would never say to their child, you're not enough. Or you do this so I will love you. I mean, you know, that's the toxic side of parenting. But well, she, will, um, she will from her own, her own wounding. She will from her own wounding, but let's go from whole. Let's go from like divine love, right? Yeah. It's, it's you know, even a wounded mother, if you can't, you know, the child approaches and says, am I worthy of your love? Oh, what a silly question, my love. Of course. You, why would you even ask? So is it your wounded self? Or is it your whole self, your healed self, that's going after the car and the likes and the followers? You can do the same thing. You can have the same outer worldly pursuits, actions. Go be a baller. Totally. Why? So if you're doing it because this is your your true nature, you feel alive. There's no criticism. There's no push. It's a peaceful unfolding it's um it's there's it's a lack of there's a lack of proof if there's an absence to proving to anybody else that you're worthy and what you're doing keep going if you are hustling because you know if you do the work and you drill down deep enough because you never got the one phrase you wanted from your parents or that one guy in high school said that one thing or that whoever and that's why you need, you're just achieving. Just pause. Doesn't mean you have to let it all go. This is another, this is a, I think a fallacy in our community, you know, this self-help space of, you know, becoming more aware doesn't mean you have to decimate your goals and your dreams and everything. Just re-engineer a little bit. You might still want to go after all that stuff but you're going to do it and you're going to sleep better and you're going to enjoy your stuff when you achieve. I know a lot of really successful people that have still have an insatiable uh, void that they've been working on filling and they've been so wildly successful at kind of compensating around that, that now they have all of the things and everyone loves them and like they have great influence and it's like, it's completely working and they're still kind of on this internal, just this feeling of like emptiness of sorts. And like, what, like, what, what is that? Is that, is it, is it maybe fuel to create? Is there something that's actually adaptable about that within the human to cause us to want to progress and evolve? 
Is there something, Mm -hmm. is that something, is it, is it a fault? Like, Mm -hmm. like, where is that, where is that, that insatiable ever, you know, just never ending void that kind of changes shape, but it never seems to quite completely come into wholeness with so many people, or maybe I'm just, you know, projecting. No, you're not. This is like, (laughs) this is mortal coil stuff. Um, The mind believes that it is separate from creation. The mind believes it's separate from source. So the ego, the ego is the product of the mind. The ego is always on the outside of things, never fully Mm -hmm. belongs. It's never fully enough. There's always a proving. There's always a reason that it's superior and therefore separate or that it's inferior and therefore separate. So you're insecure or you're over secure, you know, you're really, you're lax and um, inactive or you are hyper controlling. You're just crushing it all. Mm-hmm. And I think this is part of incarnating. It's part of being here. I think the medicine is to love that illusion. Take the illusion with you. I go, wow, there I go again. You know what I I talk about and how to be loving with respect to the ego is instead of trying to, you know, so just how I've explained things, you might think, oh, I really need to like um, overcome my ego. No, don't, don't try and overcome your ego. Don't try and over that's, don't try and overcome your fear. You made it. Make space for it. That's all. Just realize you're vast. This is another, you know, I use the um, metaphor a lot in the book. It's a, it's a Buddhist borrowing that you're as vast as this guy. And I think that metaphor is actually designed to kind of blow your mind a bit. You are that loving. You can... You can love and you can be afraid. You can you can love all of your little fragmented bits. You can love the overachiever in you and get closer to God, get closer to your n- true nature, regulate your nervous system, sleep at night, stop pushing yourself, have kind, have go after your objectives with loving kindness for yourself mm-hmm. instead of I mean, look what look where overwork has got us. We're burned out. We're polarized. I think we're living in an epidemic of immorality. Um, pretty lost right now. Hmm. Do you feel what what is is there any standout kind of like neuroses or? kind of like emotional characteristics or flavors of emotional characteristics that you pass through that are the most challenging for you? You mentioned controlling. Is there mm-hmm. any other consistent trends that you see pop up within yourself that you're like, ah, oh, here this thing is again. I thought, we, I, thought we, I thought we got that. Well, it's all, it's all control. It's just different flavors and I make them look great. Mm-hmm. Like I can make overwork look really successful. That's what we do. We make it look good. We put a filter on it, right? I can make my fear of being controlled, really my fear of being annihilated, um, look really sassy and uh, informed. 
well-informed about new world order. Like, you know, um, but really underneath that is just really just deep fears. And my, you know, quote, power move is to just really be compassionate with those things. Like it's just, you know, I'll talk to myself. Like I, you know, model talking to Aaron. It's like, ah, Danielle, of course you're scared. You haven't been where you're going. You haven't been where you are right now, of course. And that same part of me, my heart, that is offering love to my neuroses also says, let's keep going. I will not falter in my unconditional love for myself, for humanity, for God. Um, I'm gonna make lots of mistakes, but like I'm committed. And I think this is, um, you know, we all know the cheesy motivational saying, if you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. But there's another layer to that. It's like, yeah, but what are you going to stand for? And I am a stand for love. And it's harder to throw me off because of that commitment. Yeah. Yeah. In your in your book as well, you have a, a bit that I, I really enjoyed that I'm going to butcher if I try to actually repeat it. But it was along the lines of, of the the reason for or the driving force of a, the birthing of a child is kind of like this universal metaphysical force. And it's about healing the traumas of the past and the future. And, you know, it's all interlaced throughout that web of our ancestry and the universe, mm-hmm. whatever that means exactly, uh, kind of chooses a, an earth parent to uh, birth birth this being yes and then it's and yes. then this this that being is an opportunity for them to go through and and kind of purge for 85 years or 90 years or whatever and mm-hmm. it's it's not just about that that individual baby but it's actually like their work for the collective and i was like oh, hot damn that's an interesting perspective <laughs> but it was like it felt very fulfilling to hear actually well there's two if i'm correct about what you're you're that wasn't exactly, out there, how, exactly how it went, but something like that. Is, there's two things I talk about that relate to this. One is what I call the wound to healing sequence, where we're born into our family. And guess what? They don't meet up to our fantasies about what love is. And we feel resentful about that. And then we feel ashamed that we're resentful that we didn't get what we wanted and we don't think our parents and our our community are perfect and then there's you know after shame comes guilt and it just is this vicious cycle and eventually you know how you break the cycle is you just forgive everybody's doing the best they could that's a beautiful thing lots of us will get there in this lifetime to that forgiveness deep acceptance of how we were raised and the hands we were dealt and all of that. I posit that there is another dimension to that, which is, so, you know, most of us get on the path and we go for therapy. Is therapy new to you? You'd mentioned the last few months it was powerful for you. Is this fresh? Doing therapy that's 
somatically focused is new to me. Mm-hmm. I've been in the realm of manual therapy and Feldenkrais, and I'm a rolfer. I don't know if you're familiar with with any of that yeah, yeah, type yeah. stuff. Yeah, pain. Um, doesn't need to be, but but uh, yeah, it would depend on who you'd see. Uh, but so I've been very well steeped in that world, more from like manual therapy movement perspective for the last while. Um, I've done some talk therapy, uh, but it never it was it was too much like intellect. It was too much story. This is the first that I'm really like, oh, okay, you're like teaching me to fish. This is very, very different mm. than, you know, just giving me some tips about my parents for some time right. on a phone call. For nine, 90 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. However you enter into it, you get to that forgiveness. You work that through. You can see why you created all these patterns. Like you know, I had this theme from childhood, from parents. So this is who I dated and this is the business partner and all this stuff. You see those patterns, you dissolve those patterns, you're free. There's another layer of responsibility that I'm interested in, which is that you didn't create those patterns just because of your family of origin stuff, that you actually attracted, you chose that family of origin because the soul comes to work on a particular theme. So it's not, you got abandoned by your father, and so you date people who abandon you. It's that your soul wanted you to heal this this theme, to work with this theme, to master this theme around abandonment and the antidote to the theme, abandonment and belonging. We want you to really know what belonging is, dear soul, whatever name you're gonna have. Um, so choose this father. He's going to abandon you. There's going to be impact. You're going to work it through. You're going to realize how powerful you really are. And that's how you get to the side of belonging. Hmm. So we choose it before we come. And that really takes the heat off of all the family of origin stuff. Yeah. And it's like people said, like, um, quality of life, your life is based off of the quality of the questions you've asked or you ask or something along those lines. I also, I think you could say like the, the quality of the stories that we tell ourselves. Mm-hmm. I think that's an interesting thing that you can, you can go the whole gamut of, of narration of your life. It could be more, you know, you're alone in this thing and there's no heaven, there's no hell. It's just die lights out, you know, more like nihilistic perspective. You could go, maybe Hindu or Christian, or, you know, you mm. could think that the work that I'm doing right now is just about myself. It stops there. Or you could say it goes into my descendants, my children, my children's children, my children, you know, onward through the chain. You could also say, I'm have the availability to go back and heal, uh, inter intergenerational trauma from the past, which that's like a, that's a novel concept, but it, it's, I like it. <laughs> I, I, it, it makes it makes it 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 makes me feel not so alone i guess mm, mm. Why you know, is the, that? This, i think the sensation that i'm connected to my ancestry and i'm a perpetuation of that it's not that i'm just this single node on a map just trying to do stuff for the heck of it because what else am i going to do mm-hmm. but it's actually like no no you're a, you you are a part you know, young Aaron, you know, young Danielle of this, of this much larger fabric and you're important 
you know, and, and, and we're important and, and it's, it's, you're not alone. And I think that, that, that the modern world that I live in, at least it, it feels like there's a lot more of a, a leaning towards, um, separation and, you know, more individualistic lifestyles and nuclear mm-hmm. homes and families and people living alone in apartments and fantasizing about the illustrious social lives that probably everybody else is having and the amazing relationships and romantic partners that everyone else is having, but it's like, you're just here on your cell phone, kind of observing people's highlight reels and the availability, you know, like the AA world, they, they, they call it the spiritual malady is the, the root of, of addiction. And it, I think there's really something to that, you know, and I think there is an availability to tap into something deeper, but it's, it's not a part of the culture that we live in. We get a, a sterilized version of Christianity you know, and nothing against Christianity or for or anything like that. But I think that a lot of the practices from the past were much more mystical and much more, you know, a part of just felt like it was a part of a broader net. And and I wonder how, how we reintroduce that in a, in a healthy, pragmatic way to, to a culture that is going through what seems to be like a loneliness epidemic. Mm. Well, I think... Uh, the divine is reintroducing it and we're learning how much we need each other through the suffering. And Mm -hmm. if we don't get it, uh, you know, cause and effect, there could be more. It's like, you know, how I, how I see it is everybody is a cell in this body that is mother earth and you can be a healthy cell or you can be an unhealthy cell. And the, you know, your own, our own body will reject unhealthy cells and healthy in terms of spirit and Dharma and karma and psychology and, you know, all the layers is, um, you have the sense that we are all interconnected, that what I do affects you, what you do affects me that my happiness is related to your happiness, that goodwill is the path to fulfillment, like everything we're craving, whether it's, you know, it's the likes or it's the relationship or the family, whatever, it's all on the other side of goodwill and service and, and, and being loving. That's where the fulfillment is. Um, so I think what's happening on a collective global scale is the universal principle is saying, okay, we need to clean this up. We're going through this global detox right now. Like right now, maybe I'm projecting because right now, as we speak, I am on like month one of this three and a half month metals detox. Did all these testings. I've got lead and mercury in my system. It's been difficult. It's been a mess. And, um, I feel like it's like, it's more the metaphorical for what's going on in the world. You have to do it slowly. It's uncomfortable and it has to be done. And so I feel that, you know, all the toxicity of the mind and corruption and all those dark things are being shaken up 
and revealed. You know, lots of people in the like spiritual community would say like the veils are thinning. I don't know if the veils are thinning or it's just time for the divine to say, come, let's just clean this business up and all fall in love. Yeah. Where do you think it's going? Like, where is the, is mm. this universal metaphysical quantum train headed to like one, another quote oh. that I've, what, one of my favorite quotes in, in general, but it was also in your book is that if you, if you bring forth what is within you, what is within you will save you. If you do not bring forth what is within you, what is within you will, will destroy you. It's the gospel of St. Thomas. Thomas. Yes. What, what happens if a person brings it all forth and really like, is it possible to actually clean all of one's baggage and process and just be a completely clear, unfractured mirror in the world? Mm -hmm. Or is it would like, I have a, a theory. I don't really have a theory. I'm just curious of like, <laughs> would a body even maintain itself at that point? Like is our function here to process like what the hell are we doing what are we doing <laughs> like what is the point of this <laughs> yeah uh we can go let's go backwards we'll start from the beginning of your question which is where are we going we're going home we're going home we're going to the awareness that we are all buddha nature and god source from the same source we're the source that creates these many sources I think where we're going is inconceivable to this human brain and human consciousness, mind and brain being separate things. But my sense is it's better than here. <laughs> um, my sense is there is peace. Um, but here is where we are and there's lots of joy and we all signed up for this. And I've, you know, more than, more than in the past, I'm like, um, well, I'm just accepting life as is myself and, you know, the Chinese curse. May you live in interesting times. Mm. These are very interesting times. Uh, yeah. Why are we here? We're here to make the unconscious conscious. We're here to heal. And the vehicle for that. So your next question may be like, how do we do that? I think the vehicle to healing is relationship. So it's relationship to yourself and how intimate are you going to be with what's going on in your mind, your heart, your body. And um, as we all know, this is like our greatest source of pain, pleasure, happiness, and joy is in every kind of uh, relating. I want to take a moment and share about something that has truly made a massive difference in my life as of recent. That is going through the diagnostic process with LifeForce. LifeForce is a health optimization company that is bringing a personalized approach to help you take control of your health. It all starts with the LifeForce Diagnostic, a comprehensive blood test that measures over 40 biomarkers that impact your mental and physical health, from your nutrient levels to hormone balance to key risk factors 
for disease and much more. The Life Force Diagnostic gave me a snapshot of precisely what the heck is happening inside of my body. Then the next step, I jumped on a call with a Life Force functional medicine doctor and she was absolutely amazing. I asked her a whole gamut of questions and uh, it's probably a pretty annoying patient, I would say, because I just kept asking questions and she kept having answers. She was incredibly welcoming, incredibly sweet, and just really brilliant with the information. Um, so she mapped out a very clear, concise plan uh, for me. Uh, she was working with me. I think it, I just felt very supported the whole time. Uh, some of the things that we saw there was a deficit with me was particularly DHEA uh, and then also omegas. So they got me on a couple nutraceuticals and I swear to God, um, I, since starting these guys, I feel um, almost uncomfortable saying it like this because it's an ad, but it truly made a massive difference. My word recall, my energy levels, my libido um, has, has significantly shifted since starting. So I'm freaking excited and I would absolutely implore any of y'all to at least get the diagnostic done so you can get that snapshot of what's going on inside of your blood, what is going on inside of your biology so you're not guessing. You know exactly what's happening and then you can start making decisions from there. If you'd like to get 15% off, uh, you can go to mylifeforce.com. That's M-Y-L-I-F-E-F-O-R-C-E.com and then use align code at checkout for 15% off. And that is a very meaningful 15% off as well. So I can't recommend it enough. I think you guys are going to really dig it. I think it's going to be really amazing for your own health journey. Jump over to mylifeforce.com and use the align code for 15% off. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things that um, has come up with me in uh, some therapy stuff when I'm, when I'm doing it, it's, it's very, do you get like visuals while you're in therapy? What kind of therapy stuff? Like, what do you find effective? What are therapy modalities that you feel are, are, are worth looking into? Uh, well, I should tell you I'm done with therapy for the time being and I can explain Great. why, but I'll go through the laundry list for you. Yeah. I found EMDR therapy extremely effective hmm. because you are working on neuropathways, repatterning, repatterning the brain. And I like intense stuff. So like I would just, I'd go in with my therapist, do these three days of EMDR, watch the light, come up with new cognitions, new phrases as antidotes to restrictive, toxic phrasing and all that really dug it. Mm. There's that. Um, I am not, I should just tell you all the things I don't do anymore that I used to do. Um, psychedelics, no longer part of my toolkit. I, it's too messy for me. Yeah. I feel that it opens me up too much to things jumping on me to come live in my daily life. And I just want to keep my energy field clean. It's not as, might not seem as like, uh, efficient or, uh, it's not as much of a life hack. I just need to do the hard, steady work of meditating every day and choosing to be, you know, loving when it's hard to be loving. Mm. Um, there's that I've done so much talk therapy. The best therapy for me always had a spiritual component. So working with a psychotherapist who was also a Buddhist who had a, you know, a truly meta perspective of things 
working with people who integrated A Course in Miracles into their therapy. What didn't work for me was highly frustrating. And I think in some cases, a bit damaging. I had to clean some things up. It was just like really kind of generic talk therapy. Yeah. There was no Jungian depth. There was no, you know, um, and that was just a lot of projection therapists who I didn't like, they didn't like me. It was just me projecting my mother stuff. It was just really bullshit at the end of the day. Um, and then there's energy work. So A Course in Miracles teaches that we all have the capacity to heal ourselves at all times, but that we just temporarily forget that we are the healer. And this is the beauty of being in community and having friends and elders and wisdom keepers that I can turn to someone who has a better memory of our healing capacity and they can actually heal me. They can dissolve the thing. They can pull the pain out. They can work on my energy bodies and help me get balanced. So that's my current modality of working with a really seasoned, you know, powerful person. Mm -hmm. I'm done with talk therapy for the time being. You know, I may decide to go back to it someday, but I could feel there was a point where I had done some healing, like the, the forgiving happened. The trauma really got dissolved and transformed into something more powerful. And to continue to talk about it was just kind of a, you know, my ego <laughs> wanting a party. Yeah. And, you know, that question you asked about why is loving yourself so completely making you, pos you know, stirring up that feeling of not being safe. I had that same kind of feeling when I decided, okay, I'm going to peace out from psychotherapy indefinitely, if not forever. It's a little bit nerve. It's risky. feels nerve. Like I'm losing my wubby. Who am I going to call? Who's going to tell me how bright I am or how messed up I am? <laughs> Who's going to give me the five steps? Danielle is going to give Danielle the five steps and it's, it's more peaceful right now. Yeah. I love that. Um, well, I don't want to take up too much of your time. I'm sure you've got other lovely things to be partaking in. Um, but I really, really appreciate the way that you show up in the world. I feel like, like, like one of the things that, uh, like maybe Ram Dass or Alan Watts or something said something along the lines of sometimes you don't need or for effective therapy, sometimes you just need to be around a therapeutic person. And <laughs> yes, yes. Essentially yes, just, Ram Dass, yeah. Essentially what you're, yeah, what you're saying there. And I think more people that are quote unquote doing the work to kind of clean their own mirrors a bit or just kind of like mm. clean some of the static. I think that that's, you know, I... I know that I've spent most of my life um, inhabiting a body that was afraid of love predominantly, mm. afraid of like allowing love in um, and being around people that have been courageous enough through happenstance or intentionality to disarm, you know, and, and surrender enough to be able to like allow light to come in. Uh, it's very cool. So I appreciate you doing that. <laughs> and you know, that, that is the process, right? Is letting the light in. 
Mm. Light is different than love. Light is love given. Light is consciousness. Mm. And so we do all these things we do, the modalities, the long list, so that the soul can just drop a little more illumination in. You just see a little more clearly. Yeah. Mm. And to be able to do that, it seems like surrender is kind of like a, a like an important quality. But then it's also it's almost like you don't want to be all surrender, probably. I mean, you can. There's multiple planes, so you yes. can be perpetually in a state of surrender, but also be like active AF, and also be yeah. lots of other things. But yes, I think that okay. that's where that's where it gets blurry. It's like okay, so let's, I'm just going to let's tur- let's be turn all... it inside out. It's not yeah. multiple planes. It's not layers of surrender. It's more um, tracks of surrender, mm. lanes of surrender. And then the, the question is, what are you going to surrender to? Like, what's your lane? Are mm. you surrendering to your ego self, to status quo, to organized religion, which, you know, our new age space counts as an organized religion now? Are you surrendering to really the dogma of, got to say it, life hacking, biohacking? I get it, mm. but where is it coming from? Or are you surrendering to higher wisdom, Hmm. love, compassion, metta, M-E-T-T-A, loving kindness? Just pick the one thing. Pick the only thing that matters. Pick the most powerful thing in the universe to surrender to and deny everything else. Um, How does a person become wise? Like, what does wisdom mean to you? And how does a per if, if a person would be inclined towards wisdom? Because it's different, it's different than, you know, probably, I don't know, watching YouTube videos, you know, or reading a book. Yeah. yeah. So, so, yeah. so, yeah, how does a person become wise? What is wisdom? Wisdom is not knowledge. It's not information. It's not how many languages you speak. It's not even um, how many meditations you know. It's not knowing Sanskrit. That's all knowledge. Knowledge is great. Knowledge can be the path to wisdom. Um, But knowledge is of the mind. The ego loves more knowledge. Loves it. Loves an extra degree. Loves an extra certification. Yeah. Wisdom is a virtue. So wisdom is a soul quality. Wisdom comes from the universal mind. So the actual characteristics of wisdom is that, this is how you know, like a dumb choice from a wise choice. Wisdom is all inclusive. So wisdom comes to the boardroom or to social media, or to the family structure, and says, how does everybody get included and everybody benefit and everybody win? Mm. Wisdom knows that unless everybody has a seat at the table, it doesn't work. Wisdom is united we stand, divided we all fall. All of us go down unless we all go through together. There will be no soul left standing on its own. That's wisdom. So wisdom is... um, you know, back to your terminology around alignment, wisdom is always looking for cohesion. The wise person will walk into any situation and figure out what do we all have in common here? And how do we all get our needs met? Everybody's needs 
need to get met somehow. Even the toxic needs. We're gonna fig- we're gonna figure it out how we can turn that toxic need into a healthy need. So how does one get wise? Stillness. That's it. You can't. Most of us are so driven to like accumulate another step, another hack, another how-to. We actually aren't still. We'll tell ourselves we're being still. This is the shadow side of, of quote, meditation in our wellness community. We're, quote, meditating. <laughs> I'm putting it in air quotes that nobody can see. We're, we're meditating in order to, like, fill in the blank, to, like, achieve, to, you know, right. where it's just meditation is really this process of receptivity. You stand under the light by being still. And the wisdom is looking for you. It's trying to get to you. Yeah. It's just like, hi. Hi, you, you're not being still? Okay, how about an injury? We'll get you to lie in bed for five days and just listen. No, that you still weren't listening. Okay, what else can we do to get you to be still? Yeah, yeah I feel like it's a pretty special quality of bi- biology in, in general, at least human biology, is it's continually set to seek balance, homeostasis, healing, restoration. It's very cool. It's very convenient. And I I think that in a more allopathic model of of medicine, there can, that the belief can start to kind of be infused in there somewhere that the disease is the enemy, you know, and and your like my body's attacking me, you know, and and I think that there can be a lot, a lot of, um, it can be very like an insidious story that can kind of take root and then become a reality. And to come into that awareness of, of like, huh, like, like my body is on my, my side, I'm on my side. You know, like that's, that's something that I think is, um, do you see any kind of holes in modern medicine or allopathic medicine? And, and particularly in the relationship of, you know, the mind and the body or, perhaps like the emotional self and how that could. Oh, where do we start? I mean, it's a grand Canyon of, of ill thinking, I think Mm. with some, you know, punctuated moments of, of goodness and progress. And, you know, I have a doctor, I have a naturopath. I go to the doctor in crisis when I, when I don't have the, spiritual, when I don't have the psycho-spiritual wherewithal to heal or endure the physical ailment, and I'm, I'm truly in a crisis, I am so grateful to turn to allopathic medicine. Yeah. So much beauty and power there. But it's all backwards. It's all backwards. Like one of, you know, the, um, the thought form that the body is attacking itself is one of the most damaging messages that allopathic message that allopathic medicine has ever given us. Look what it does to us. It puts the power outside of ourselves. It it puts us in in strife with our own selves. It's it takes the power out of our hands. It's it's awful. Um it's an industry. I mean, then you, you get into all the complexities around the commodification of healthcare. You just ask yourself, 
who's making the money in terms of modern medicine, it will drive you down the rabbit hole of corruption that's been going on for decades. You will have a very healthy distrust about what's happening in the contemporary situation. And you will have no choice at that point to turn to your own body and more natural means for healing, which in my experience are way more liberating in the end. I get to the cause of the issue. I get to the root and I heal it there. But that only takes you so far too. I mean, beyond holistic, truly holistic medicine is the med- you know, energy healing, medicine of the mind. I need to look at why I manifested certain things. Can I love the illness? My body's not attacking me. My mind's not attacking me. I have to embrace the pain. I have to embrace the ailment. I have to look at my responsibility in it. Yeah, you have one of the things, another thing that I wrote down from the, the book. I, I think I messed up the way I wrote it, but something along the lines of you'll, you'll live in victimhood until you understand freedom permanently by taking responsibility for your own life. But I think that that can be really at a probably subconscious level for a lot of people actually, if they're really, truly honest with themselves, quite terrifying to take responsibility for your own life at first, if you're running the pattern of, of living in a place of um, pointing, blaming, you know, more like victim mentality. And, or, or you're just, you just don't know yet. It's your growth edge. It's like, you're not necessarily a victim. It's how you were raised. It's your culture. Yeah. You don't know any better. And it's so confusing to to navigate, especially when you're suffering physically and you're in pain. But like that's the that's that's the threshold to figure it out. You know, it's like my friend Chris Carr, who's still lives with cancerous tumors in her body and is thriving. Mm-hmm. You know, she, Chris always says, I had to become CEO of save my ass technologies. It's like, and that's really, you know, a call for what we all need to do. Yeah. yeah. Something. So we will wrap up soon. I, the, the, uh, before we go, I would love to hear your experience and perception of how, um, well, how your perception has evolved of the, the role of the heart. Cause mine's mm-hmm. been shifting. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and you know, there's like the research from the Heart Math Institute, you know, that I'm sure you're, you're familiar with. And there's, there's, you know, most of the nerves in the vagus nerve in particular, they're afferent, they're moving, sending information from the viscera up into the brain. You know, most, much of our lives were spent kind of in this more efferent, you know, like motor get stuff done type way. But in fact, at a, a biological level, or we're actually listening bodies for lots of things, but, you know, mm. largely listening bodies. Um, how has your perception of the heart shifted over the years? And what is what is your perception of the heart now? How do you define the heart? I thought that the heart was in service to the mind that I'd think about what I wanted to do. I'd, you know, I was going to will it and then I was going to do it with love. I was going to do it for love because, you know, I'm a loving person. It's, it's, it's in reverse now. I got, I finally got my priorities straight it's what I am always attempting to do is get to that place beyond thought, beyond proving and striving and t- 
tap into, you know, what does, what does my essence want? My heart, what's, where's my soul guiding me? And then use my stealth intellect in service of love. So, you know, the, where it gets scary is, um, or can get scary. It's not, not all the time is that, you know, the, what we often label as intuition, which is really, you know, the whispering of the heart is illogical. It's not, you know, the heart is not interested in the data and it will have you, it's going to lead you in directions that just don't make sense. It's going to say like, don't marry that person. The hall is booked. The cake is baked. This is not, you got to leave. It's going to guide you to do 11th hour changes where, you know, everything's on the line. It is um, going to have you wait when life is really tempting you. Could say yes to this. It's so easy. And you say, no, something better is coming. Yeah. It's going to have you give a lot more away than makes sense to the bottom line to give away. It's not in the interest of profitability all the time. But it's fulfilling. It's powerful. It's really great for your nervous system, which is great for everything else. So heart first, love first, strategy second. Hmm. Energetically, like where does the those the energetic aspect of the heart exist? Because I think you could think of the heart as being this electric valve that's you know supported with pumping blood mm-hmm. through your system. But that's that's just one layer of it. I think the heart is very multifaceted. And so is mm-hmm. your sexual organs and so is your your throat mm-hmm. and so is your brain and so is you know, I don't know your community and probably the earth and you know there's probably a, there's a lot of layers to a lot of things. But that energetic aspect of the heart for a person that's some of that those more esoteric perspectives might be a little bit more kind of like they're on the edge of that or it might be kind of like eh, like a little more eye roll. Like, how do you start to break into a conversation that the heart is more than a valve? Or do you? Maybe you don't need to. I'm not that interested in the proof of that in that conversation. I mean, if I want to go in that direction, we can talk about. So first of all, I think more of the heart in terms of the heart chakra, an energy system. I think the work that the Heart Math Institute is doing is groundbreaking and can go a long way into opening people's minds to the power of this energy that, you know, you can get an electromagnometer and you can measure the vibration that comes off of the heart region and the brain. And the energy that comes off the heart is 60 times stronger than that of the brain. And there's all sorts of science-backed studies that are showing that it's really the energy of the heart system, the energetic system, not the, the anatomical heart, that is sending the impulses to the thinking brain. So it's really the heart that's driving. It is actually the heart that is creating the original impulse that the brain then has to heed to. It's like, you know, you can get into this argument, whether it's thought that comes first or, you know, the, the sensation, the feeling, the energy in the heart. And, you know, if a bear is crossing your path while you're hiking, you're not going to be thinking the first thing that's the first experience you're going to have 
is energetic. It's in the heart. It's in the nervous system. And that sends the signal to the brain to say, I need to, I need to freeze or I need to run. So it's energy first. That energy then goes into the structure of the brain. And the brain then helps you lift your arm up, make the run, send, you know, adrenaline wherever it needs to go, blood wherever it needs to be. And we make the move. Why did culture, again, this might be my projection as well, but it seems like culture has um, either intentionally or unintentionally shifted people away from trusting their intuition and leaning more into um, the, the mind, you know, and rationality. Yeah. yeah. Well, this is a direct expression of imbalanced imbalanced toxic masculinity yeah this is which, the, which isn't which isn't is, a, a man is bad no, thing it's no, that is an not energetic, a man is bad thing yeah there are there are many people in female bodies who perpetuate the patriarchy yeah. for sure so toxic masculinity you know the mo of the patriarchy is to dominate, is to control. In order to do that, you have to individuate. You have to um, create this illusion that people are separate and they need some power source outside of themselves to survive. I mean, really, this is the structure of current government, which is really, I mean, current government is really just current corporation that we call countries. Yeah, And, you know, corporations are operating on a psychopathic model hmm. that they have no enemies and their job and their right is to profit off of all of the individual components underneath its domain, its doctrine, its domination, right? So break everything up, keep everything separate, separate people from their bodies, from their families, from nature, and they are very controllable. You can yeah. feed them any kind of constant programming through music, so-called news, so-called education, et cetera. And basically we're being programmed every through every <laughs> platform and orifice. Yeah. Yeah, that's, <clears throat> Alan Watts has a bit about that where he talks about like a, a king's throne is the back is up against the wall so he can see all of the folks and there's no one that could potentially attack him. You see the similar setup with like Catholic churches as well. It's like this big throne. There's nothing behind that. You know, and a, mm -hmm. a part of that is like, well, it's because we're not in a circle together. You know, like, like mm -hmm. we're, we're coming, we're in this place where it's, it's, you don't want the individual in that, in that toxic patriarchal model to trust their intuition too much or trust their creativity mm -hmm. or their independence or their sovereignty too much, you know, because we're, we're creating something else, you know, we're, we're creating a country mm -hmm. or a state or an empire. Yes. It's not about the individual, which I don't know if that's bad or good, but I feel like that's been the, the general tendency or trend. Does that well, make sense? it's, it's that, yes, I understand what you're saying. This is very nuanced. It's that you can separate people from all those things I just listed, their body, from their families, et cetera, to weaken them. And then they have to go to another source for 
their power, their medicine, their quote, freedom, et cetera, et cetera. But also what's happening is all of this um, neutralization, this watering down, this mashup of, it's a tricky word, right? Of identity, because we are all related. We all come from the same source and we all do have that unique thumbprint of God, of spirit on us. We all do have that swadharma and our power lives in that uniqueness, that consciousness that says, this is who I am. And in that consciousness that can see what is all me, I can see that I am connected to all of you. And this mashing up, this conglomerating is watering down our awareness of our unique power and what I would call the higher self. Mm. Yeah, it's very, um, it's become very tricky to our territory to get into. I, yeah. I, I wonder, I wonder why you don't need to have a response for this, but I, per, perhaps it's just like a natural pendulation of human energetics and cultural energetics towards maybe just to use, have a term like more femininity, you know, matriarchy, like worshiping the, 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 the goddess. Yeah, the goddess and the intuition and the listening and magic and all of those aspects. And then maybe it went a little too far in that direction from like a broader perspective somehow. And maybe that it was necessary for it to swing into something that's maybe a little bit more like it's like toxic patriarchal situation. Maybe it's it'll swing back to something more neutral. But like what's like the broader picture of that? Yes, I don't th- I don't know if it's as much as a swing as it is a spiral, you know, so just, just speaking this in really esoteric terms, it's believed that we go through these cycles every 2000 years. So the last 2000 year era, um, was was the age of Pisces and the characteristics of that is it's individuation and individuality and distinction. And that's necessary. That's part of wholeness. And now we are very firmly in the age of Aquarius. And that characteristic is commonality, communion, group love, group determination on behalf of goodwill. This really is, we really are in this new terrain of united we stand, divided we fall. We've got to get this. And um, so I think this is the human soul maturing takes a long time. I mean, the changes we all or many of us are craving, you know, what Charles Eisenstein would call, you know, the beautiful world, the heart knows is possible. Hmm. I don't know if we'll see them in our lifetime. I hope we'll see them in our lifetime. But this duality that we live in, I mean, look, we're still dealing with racism. This is ridiculous. (laughs) This is like decades, decades and decades and decades. And we, we still haven't healed the crux of, of that agony. So are we, um, are we going to make quantum leaps into our wholeness, into wisdom? 
maybe because I think the suffering that we could be in store for is going to be like something we have never experienced before. Yeah. Yeah. The things that, the things that something that I, I'm sure you've experienced this quite a bit as well, but going through challenging times in general, particular in relation to like the hard stuff, like challenging breakups, that's in retrospect, it's always the most beautiful thing. And you're like, wow, like if it weren't for that, just getting completely destroyed by that, there's no way I other way that I would have been open to all of this actual like restoration and healing and realize like how askew my, my compass was without that destruction. And the destruction is the thing that everyone holds their sphincters like, Oh no, we don't want that. But if you make it through, you know, the other side, it's like, it's, it, it, it could lead to greater levels of liberation. And it seems like there is kind of like this spiraling effect of, you know, you think you well, got through it and then it comes back again. And it's the, the hot word in what you've just said is it could lead to greater levels. Yeah. It's um, lots of people suffer and aren't changed by the suffering. Yeah. The lesson well, comes I mean, back again. You know, yeah. we, you know, I know many people fought for their lives, came back from really terrible cancers and they had really intimate conversations for a while. And we right. sat in circle and, and, you know, a couple of years later, they go back to their thing. They fall back asleep. So mm-hmm. this is why we practice. This is why we practice. This is why we move our bodies and we stay in community. The ego dissolves in community. And this is why we do the meditation and the prayer and the contemplation. And we eat mindfully so that we can stay awake so we can stay awake so that we don't create unnecessary suffering. The universe doesn't have to hit us over the head with the car accident or the breakup or the blindside thing. And those things will come. There will be suffering. You, you, you meet it with all your heart and no self-judgment. But we don't need to create extra suffering. And this is what we're doing on a global scale. We're making it so much harder than it needs to be by arguing about things that do not matter and not holding at the center of our economics and politics and education, et cetera, that my happiness is connected to your happiness. Or maybe we're making it just the exact amount of hardness that it needs to be to go where it needs yes. to go. <laughs> so true. <laughs> <laughs> very very zen ninja of you yes yeah, yeah. the divine is in all of the all of it yeah. yeah there's the last thing i'll say and then and then i promise i've already i've already like like teased closing things up several times the last thing i'll say the analogy that was i found supportive i was talking to a buddy recently was um you know some sometimes we're moving along on a train or our life is moving along in a train and sometimes the windows are open and you can see it's like, oh, wow, we're cruising along. Wow, the Grand Canyon this is amazing. Like, where are we going? Yeah. We're going to California. And you see, you're like, wow, I feel like we're making progress. I'm learning. This is like, this is great. And then the windows start to close for whatever reason. And maybe you get away from your community. Maybe you get away from your practices. Maybe some kind of health thing happens. Maybe you know, whatever it is. And the windows close. And you can start to feel this sensation of stagnance. And the sensation of like, oh, like this yearning. And that void starts to get bigger. And it's like, oh, you start scraping the walls of the train because you don't feel like you're going anywhere or, you know, or not fast enough. 
And then something can happen where suddenly you get a little light that comes through and you're like, oh, okay, we're cruising along. But the whole entire time the train was moving. You know, and the, the, the other analogy would be like a, like a little kid in one of their, the uh, grocery, like grocery store kid carts, you know, and they have their little steering wheel. They think they're in control, but meanwhile, you know, their, their mother, father or whatever was, was pushing the cart the whole time. So that's the kind of thing that I've been coming back to with some level of regularity of um, trust, you know, like yes. leaning into trust. And as long as I do my best, whatever that looks like, I can trust that the train is moving where it's supposed to. And I can trust that you know, mother, father, whoever's pushing this cart, you know, is, is pushing it in the direction that's supposed to. And I can just do my best to kind of lean my weight around the corners, you know, and just like be congruent or be aligned with that mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. mother, father, without trying to get overly poetic. So your higher self is calling the shots at all times yeah, and it wants the best for you. Might not always seem like it, but everything is for your expansion. Yeah. Thank you so much. I this really, I, yeah, this is, yeah, this is good. Um, I hope we get to do it in person at some point. <laughs> yeah. I'm we'll, back on airplanes. So yeah. I love, I love that. Um, so I think where should people go? I mean, grab your book. Uh, how's it called? Open is it opening to love? I have it on my my Audible. <laughs> well, let's get the title right. How to be loving. How to be loving. Yes. Sorry. How to be loving. There it as is. Your heart is breaking open, and the world is opening up, or the world is waking up. I got to get it right. It's so important. I I, I recommend getting the Audible book um, because you read it, and the way that you read it, you don't read it in. You're not just reading the book. You're like talking and it's like conversational in a way you are reading the book but you kind of break out of that sometimes it feels like you're having a yeah i'm i i wrote the book i want to have i want to be friends with people so i just offer it like i'm talking to a girlfriend yeah it's very cool the way you, way you do it i mean i probably buy the, the paperback as well it's a good way to learn something that people do sometimes they get the audiobook and the paperback and they play the audio at like a higher speed while reading it apparently that's more helpful yeah. for like actually be able to absorb the information um but yeah i took extensive notes on it and that's an indication that it was hitting for me if i'm not taking <laughs> right notes on. i'm not that interested it's hitting that'll went, be that I can went, be your endorsement it was hitting yeah, for me that shit was hitting that's what i said right um on. so yeah so how to be loving how to be book. loving it's everywhere there's a book there's a deck which is super fun there's a journal and you know I am bigger than the algorithm of Instagram. So you can find me on Instagram, but really daniellelaporte.com is where we have like an actual relationship. So cool. that's where to find I love me. That. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate it. I'm going to stew and ponder on some of the things mm. and uh, today. And I look forward to getting to do this in person. Yeah. See you in person. Thank you. Thank, thank you, everybody. Thank you. Enjoyed that conversation. If you did, subscribe so you can get each week's episodes uh thanks for leaving us reviews on a podcast spotify where you listen to this and thank you for sharing on whatever social channel you do my, my handle is align podcast danielle laporte is danielle laporte and i hope you guys have an amazing week